Yo, yo, yo. Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, as always, Kane Sims, having a bit of trouble with the old musical intro there, but uh, live and kicking. Here we go. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Deep Graham before we do kick off this conversation, which is going to be an epic conversation with Jeroen Das, who is the product owner for Conversational AI at Amro Bank. We're going to be talking all about Amro Bank. It's one of the Netherlands' largest banks. They're handling 1.5 million conversations per year. And we're going to be talking all about conversational AI maturity as you begin to scale solutions across the enterprise. Uh, we'll get into that in just one moment. But first, shout out to Deepgram. If you are looking for speech recognition services to power your voice bots or even use cases beyond voice assistance, things like call recordings, things like meeting transcripts, all that kind of stuff, uh, speech recognition has a huge role to play across the enterprise. So if you are looking for speech recognition solutions, do check out deepgram.com uh, forward slash VUX world. They've got immense accuracy. They've got incredibly fast speed and they are incredibly cost effective. One of the things that Deepgram uh, believe, which I also believe as well, is that there is no such thing as a generic speech recognition model. Every speech recognition model should be tailored for the use case that it's used for. Uh, and that means you're going to get the best accuracy if you do that. If you have custom acoustic models and you have retrained speech recognition models based on your customer dialect, language, vocabulary, and all that kind of stuff, you're going to increase your accuracy, which means you're feeding more accurate data into your NLU, which means better performing assistance and better customer experience. So go to deepgram.com forward slash VUX world if you want to learn more. That's deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. All right. Now, without further ado, let's welcome today's guest, Jeroen Das. Jeroen, welcome to VUX world. Thank you, Kane, and uh, thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for joining us. A lot of interesting things happening in the uh, conversational AI space in the Netherlands. So you must be uh, must be enjoying things over there. Yeah, definitely. It's like uh, it's one it's one big kindergarten in terms of uh, enjoying, experimenting, and doing new stuff. That's uh, yeah, that's what me and my teams really like. So that's really good. Nice, nice. Um, so I, I first come across you when it was only a few months back when you were speaking at the Chatbot Summit uh, in Edinburgh. And uh, it was a European Chatbot Summit, I think it was. Yeah. And you were, ha- you were on a panel with a bunch of other kind of banks. I think Monzo was on there, a couple of others. Uh, and what was really resonating, which I think is a topical conversation, certainly for me at the moment, was this concept of maturity and developing a mature AI team, developing organizational maturity as far as leadership knowledge and education and support and all that kind of stuff is concerned. Um, you were talking some real sense about that kind of stuff. So I'm, I can't wait to get into that conversation. But first, before we do, please do tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeroen, and, and what you do at Amro Bank. Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, Jeroen Das. I'm 35 years old. I work uh, at ABN Amro for almost 10 years already. But since 2017, we're working, uh, uh, as, I work as a product owner conversational AI. Uh, that was also back in the days, right, when we really started. So we uh, we made a small POC. We put it live, see uh, how it how it works, and also how our customers are dealing uh, with, a, with a chatbot. Get the first learnings from that, and also start learning. Okay, it does this technology you have the potential to grow into something big? But that's since 2017, and over time, together with a great team, uh, we grew uh, quite significantly. So from a chatbot POC to the first chatbot on specific topics over and over again to an enterprise-wide uh, conversational AI platform from which we uh, currently uh, operate uh, well, multiple chatbots for customers as well as for our uh, colleagues. And uh, yeah, we have a great team of over uh, 40 uh, people working on it. Wow, 40 people, that's quite a lot. When did you start, did you say? Sorry? When, when did you start the initiative? When was the POC? Uh, late 2017. Yeah, okay. second half. So uh, September, October, something like that, we started. Interesting. So, so you got to 40 people in uh, just less than five years, maybe. Yeah, that's true. But if you uh, look to the adaptation of the technology uh, to the technology and uh, uh, what what the need is for digital contacts or contact online, uh, it's quite uh, it's quite a natural growth as well. We we mm. we always grew against the demand and not so much by uh, by pushing. So that's quite interesting. Yeah, interesting. So, wh- where does your sort of like your interest in this stuff come from then? Where was your, um, what got you interested initially in conversational AI? Well, in general, I, li- I really like topics with regards to uh, basically changing uh, uh, offer, changing digital offerings we do to our customers. So really turning something upside down and 
changing the organization or changing the way we offer our products or we communicate with our customers. Uh, that kind of disruptive technologies always uh, drew my interest. And um, yeah, from basically via 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 colleagues who were interested in technology, uh, basically my interest grew in the technology as well. And uh, yeah, in 2017, the opportunity raised to uh, actually take uh, take uh, the position of product owner over this technology. So that was really excited, of course, and also to involve people who have the same eagerness in that sense uh, what I did. So that's uh, yeah, nice. That's nice. our all in. Nice. And uh, so this, talk to us about this POC then. What did the POC sort of entail and, and what was it that you were trying to learn from it originally back in the day? Well, back in the day, the, the question was really out there. Is that, uh, okay, uh, we read a lot what happens uh, on the other side of the large ocean, right, with regards to uh, chatbots or digital assistants, that it was really taking place. And what we wanted to learn is one on one side, hey, is the technology advanced enough to also to deal with the Dutch language. So that, that was also a big question mark at the time. But on the other hand, are customers okay with it? Or do, can we offer it in such a way that customers actually like interacting with a chatbot instead of, uh, uh, if, instead of just calling us or, uh, or well, chatting while well, we didn't have chat at the time, but evil, or coming to the office and actually interact with, uh, with one of our advisors. And uh, in that sense, yeah, we started with a small POC. It were like some off-the-shelf components or services we used. Uh, we put something together uh, on subjects we know customers were talking about. Uh, we published it online. It was quite rule-based. There was not really an NOU behind it or anything. And then, uh, yeah, we took it from there. We just started seeing what, what was going on and uh, what was... Uh, um, what was uh, uh, in terms of uh, technology, but also in terms of what the customer wants from us and how did they like it? Mm, interesting. How yeah. how how are you? How did you kind of determine whether customers liked it? Because that's always a sort of, you know, from the one side, the business cares about getting stuff done or whatever, deflecting calls, enabling transactions, whatever it might be. The customer kind of preference is always a, a tricky one. You know, you've got MPS, CSAT, those various things. Is that what you were using or were you looking for something else to try and gauge whether people were actually liking this thing? Yeah, well, these days it goes a bit broader. So uh, these days it's not only about uh, uh, measuring, well, it's also about MPS and that kind of scores, right? But it's also about, um, well, I think what is, what is one of the core benefits of conversational AI is that basically we can, what you enable yourself is with you, you can basically improve the bo uh, your bot data driven. So you basically get real-time insights in what is going on in your bot. The customers go through your uh, flow completely. You can read the conversations themselves as well. And basically you can learn from that, okay, uh, how are our customers experiencing uh, the interactions with Anna? Uh, so in and also in terms of is Anna able, Anna is our chatbot for uh, the listeners, by the way, so that's our main digital assistant. Um, are the customers, one, are they uh, able to get stuff done via Anna or do they need a handover or not? Or uh, do they just simply give up and drop out? All these kind of metrics we are measuring within the bot and that, that's basically how we can determine, okay, and uh, is of good use of, uh, for our customers uh, or not, or we need to change something. And that's actually all input what you just gather for the next sprint basically and, uh, and, uh, and uh, put it on there. Yeah, and, uh, but if you look from the start to it, I know uh, when we started back in the days, then we, we, you talked about 100, 200 conversations a week, right? So it was really small, uh, really a small POC, small scale and everything. And then you were going through the, uh, through the logs yourself and then the, you immediately saw that if you want to do this right, you should do it big. Don't keep it small. Don't uh, go for straightforward technology to use this because the customer uh, expectation for, uh, for your digital assistant or a chatbot is huge. So you, you just can't get away with a few simple flows, clickable flows, and uh, because it's experienced really quick at something uh, that you want to avoid contact with your customer, basically, and that you put a simple bot in front of it. So what we saw, yes, uh, there is a lot of potential in implementing digital assistance, but you should do you should go big if uh, if you want to do it uh, correctly. Mm, interesting, interesting. Why why Anna out of interest? Why, why Anna is it, called why Anna? Is, yeah, why is it called Anna? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did uh, we did some customer uh, we did some uh, cost, uh, uh, customer interviews at the start of the journey. So uh, and also put out some questionnaires, and that was a that was a wide range of different avatars, different names, combinations. Uh, how do you feel uh, in relationship to the bank with it? So uh, 
so what is the tone of voice of the bank is also of course an important one because you want to have over your channels uh, you should you should implement uh, it's important that Anna has a personality but it should be relatable to the brand you are of course so there are different aspects we, uh, we tested on and uh, Anna in combination with uh, the well uh, the avatar we use her and the personality behind it it's uh, yeah it was it came out to test uh, most uh, most uh, favorable interesting that's when we went for it and there's an avatar as well then is there yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah. Oh, yeah interesting interesting yeah. was that part of the poc as well the avatar or did that come later uh the well the cost no it's it was part of the poc as well already yeah we did it in advance yeah interesting interesting was that a kind of conscious choice or was that part of the platform that you decided to go with at the time had you know an avatar capability like was that was the avatar a conscious choice yeah it was yeah, so we uh, we actually had a specialist for that. So who did the whole investigation, and uh, well, a UX specialist who did all the investigation and uh, and the research with uh, together with the customers and stuff like that to come up with it. Even the designs actually. So we uh, tested the whole wide range of avatars. So it can be human-like, robot-like, uh, well, or not even relatable to a human or a robot. And uh, yeah, that this uh, this uh, yeah, and these were the, basically the results. So yeah. It was quite surprising, but people went for a familiar face, sort of. So a human right. face, yeah. Interesting, interesting. A bit cartoonish, of course, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And do you, do you think, or did you measure, or have you done any research as, as far as the role that having an avatar plays versus not having an avatar, or not? Well, it was quite straightforward already that... Um, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that we, that we went for something recognizable, also because we didn't want to... Uh, sort of trick the customer or get the customer in confusion if uh, he or she was talking with a real, real agent or not. Mm. So, uh, yeah, our avatar is human-like, but it's also pretty cartoonish, so it's pretty clear that it's, uh, that it's a chatbot and not, uh, not actually an agent uh, uh, talking with them. Yeah. So, yeah, it was quite, quite, quite uh, fast decided that uh, we wanted to go for some, something, something recognizable. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so it sounds so your beginning, the beginning point sounds very uh, much similar to how most organisations would progress. You begin with a proof of concept. You've got some ideas about you know is this actually going to do what it says it can do? Our customers going to actually like it? All that kind of stuff. Um, you deliver the proof of concept and. You met, obviously you, you spoke about how you got kind of customer feedback and so that. Was there any particular kind of business? Uh, metrics that you were looking for when you initially launched that POC? Like, what were you using to measure the success of the POC? Yeah, the success of the POC was really like, okay, does, uh, does the technology uh, work, the kind of stuff? But I think from a broader perspective, I mean, where, where did most corporates start as well? I think in that terms, it was all about uh, automating customer uh, contact with the customer. Uh, and it was basically driven from the inside that a lot of interactions we have with our customers are... Well, the conversations might be complex, but the solutions are, uh, for a large share, are pretty, uh, pretty straightforward, pretty easy even. So, yeah, the, the whole organization started to work for, uh, uh, starting to get behind the chatbot from a basically a cost-reducing perspective mm. uh, and a standardizing perspective. Also from uh, agent happiness, because the philosophy was also a bit, yeah, you can answer the same question 20 times a day, or do you really want to dive into the more complex stuff, right? Uh, people get more happy from uh, the more complex stuff. So uh, it was a bit of taken from those two angles, but that evolved over the years. Then we really talk about uh, the vision in 2017, 2018, something like that. But yeah. along the way, you saw that transforming as long as we, we knew more, uh, we were available through more channels, we uh, uh, tried different concepts. And then the whole, uh, the whole uh, vision and the idea, also from the organizational, especially from the organizational perspective, uh, uh, transformed as well because you see more and more value. Uh, 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 well, you identify more and more value along the way. So that is really, uh, mm. that's really, um, yeah, that was really, uh, that's really a nice journey to take. Stressful, but a nice journey. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. So, what what was the what was the next steps beyond the POC? Then, how did you? Because you mentioned there, you realized in the POC that if you want to do it properly, you've got to pretty much go big. What was the sort of like strategy from the POC? to getting something into production? What was that kind of journey like? Well, what we quite early identified is that customers are not really, uh, well, from a generic perspective, if the customers hit the chat button and start to chat, it can 
I won't, I won't disclose any, uh, any surprising stuff here, but they talk about anything related to the bank, anything. And if you have a very uh, uh, simple rule-based chatbot, then that's not going to help if you have just a couple of subjects in. And even, and even, uh, even worse, for sort of perspective, the customer can jump between subjects as well. So you need quite a, uh, uh, quite a complex solution behind it and a scalable solution behind it to get stuff done. Also, I, I'm not sure, but uh, it's quite normal. A bank has a pretty wide audience. Basically, everyone needs a bank account. So uh, if you're a company, if you're rich, if you're poor, whoever, if you are living uh, somewhere backward or you're living in the downtown New York, you need a bank account, you need to have a relationship with the bank. So the audience and the target groups of the banks are really widespread. That also means that on one side, you uh, and if you want to uh, build a virtual assistant, which is, uh, which is uh, um, at least usable for, uh, the, for, for the main account of your audiences, then you have to go really, really wide. And that's also when we saw, okay, so from a technology perspective, you need to go for the more advanced and new kinds of capabilities. But also from an organizational perspective, you really need a lot of people widespread from the organization tapping into your technology or start talking with them and uh, together with them building uh, your virtual assistants to actually make your virtual assistant really applicable for all these different target groups to talk about all these different subjects. So that was, uh, that's quite, uh, that, that, that was actually a journey of over, uh, well, it's still a journey, but it's, it's, it's already been a journey for over four years now. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's quite interesting. And um, yeah, to give you one insight, I think, uh, I think the biggest mistake you can make as a starting team is to think, well, you can build it yourself. You can like, like um, if you are like, uh, like on a, you start on a small scale, right? So your world is pretty small, it's pretty straightforward. You have a solution, you build it, you have one or two stakeholders. You take in their, uh, you take into account what they want, you take into account what your customers want, and you expand your bots gradually. But what you really see is that with your, um, uh, there is so much knowledge uh, needed to include in uh, an efficient digital assistant for your bank is that you also need to think about, okay, how do you get all those people along from all those different product groups? You have to talk about mortgages, investments, your bank account, uh, name them, insurances, name them and you have it. That it becomes a really widespread, uh, a widespread uh, initiative. Mm. And also what I think is that uh, there, because the ba banks in general are so large, it also means that a lot of knowledge is also available in the organization, right? So. Are we as developers, are we as data engineers, are we as uh, UXers, experts in having a conversation with a customer? Or are, are that those people in the contact centers or in the branches, et cetera? And yeah, a lot of stuff to consider. Mm, mm, absolutely, yeah. Um, so if people are listening to this thinking, go big, go kind of like, uh, not necessarily go big or go home, but the learners from the POC was, was it's big. You know, yeah. the, the, you've got lots of different types of customers with lots of different varying needs. And, you know, a lot of chatbots that begin with one use case, you could argue that potentially they disappoint a lot of people because if you're only covering for 20% of your use cases, then 80% potentially of your customers are being let down. But at the same time, thinking about, okay, well, we've tried this technology. Uh, it's keyword based or rules based rather. We don't have any natural language understanding. And at the same time, one, we need to get our head around natural language understanding capabilities. And then two, we also need to go across the whole organization and begin to then compile content, format content, rewrite content, get it into an accessible place, get it all signed off uh, across all those different divisions that you mentioned. Yeah. It might seem a little bit daunting. What advice would you give for others who are hearing this and thinking that sounds massive? Like, where do you start with that? Well, I think you can. Um, I think you can start. Uh, I mean, during the POC and during the first year, we we, we started as a single team, right? But what you should uh, identify for yourself are the stakeholders within the organization. Uh, maybe it are even the people you are talking to. You too. You're trying to sell your. Uh, you're trying to sell your uh, digital assistant to. Um, you need to get them uh, on your side as well. And I think, and in my experience, if you look to the stakeholders you talk to that are regularly the contact center, uh, maybe people from the branches whatsoever, um, they have so many knowledge on how, on, on the actual customer and how to deal or to talk with the customer basically, 
get them on board, also get their knowledge in, maybe even get them working on uh, the, 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 the conversations of your digital assistant themselves. Because uh, the, the experts in your organization uh, who know how to deal with the customer are your people behind the telephones, behind the desk in the branches and that kind of stuff. So my advice would also be is that if you if you build a digital assistant first place to support your, uh, your contact center, uh, for example, is that also to get those people in and uh, look with them to the information you get in your chatbot uh, in terms of, okay, what is the customer need? What are they asking and anything? And start developing the dialogues together with them uh, and also guide them and train them and how to do it and stuff like that. Um, um, and, and grow together with them. So don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, how would you define maturity as far as kind of like conversational AI is concerned. You've started with a very small team seemingly in the POC. You've grown quite organically as you've covered more content, more use cases across different areas of the bank. There's now 40 people working within that team. Um, What are some of the elements that you think constitute maturity as far as this is concerned? What are some of the things that you do now that you think are kind of like representative of a mature team that perhaps weren't there before? Um, well, what, what I do think, what is uh, representing a mature team? First of all, I think it's very important. Uh, one of the main constraints I think in the current market is, is that uh, there is a lot of knowledge on how to do this right, but it, the knowledge is with a very select group of people. Uh, if everyone wants to uh, do it very, uh, very, very big, basically, or uh, wants to upscale to a team size what we have it's very hard to get those people out of the market and uh what i think it's yeah you also need people out the market you need specialists in but you also need specialists uh within from within your organization itself so i think if you uh so first of all i think you should get a healthy mix of people who know everything about the bank and about the customer together with really the people who know everything about the technology and how to deal with it and you sort of have to get them together and also have to get them to work together And that can be a major, major challenge because, uh, well, not speaking what I sometimes hear in the market as well, eh? Uh, put some some back-enders, data engineers and conversational designers in one room and get them to speak the same language and and also that we know from each other, okay, what what is the value from each other? So what do we each bring to the table? That can, bring very, uh, that can be very complex. So if you have a combined team which, from those different specialists who can actually, uh, who actually understand each other and pay time to each other and actually can uh, suggest uh, maybe even improvements towards each other because they understand each other's world, I think that are really good signals uh, that you really have a mature team. So it's all about a mix of knowledge and a mix of uh, experience, bring it together and getting it to work together. Mm, interesting it's really it's really interesting that concept of having people that are part of the business versus or as well as people that know about the technology because there's been times in the past in the distant past where i've been i've been working on things um without really the business context or you know you'll you'll hit a if you're starting from scratch you will you won't be able to start basically yeah and then at some point you'll hit a wall where you're not really sure whether what you're actually saying as part of the conversation is even true. And then you've got then long times before you can get it in front of someone for them to have a look at it. And then depending on how big the system is, it can take quite a while for people to actually get through various stages of the experience to get to the point that you need to pay attention to. And then how do you document feedback and and deliver feedback and stuff? So I can see how having a team that's, that's made up of people with the knowledge of the business versus uh, as well as the knowledge of the technology working collaboratively together can really expedite kind of time scales, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, it's essential to be on the same boat, right? But not only from the team itself, but also from a, from a organizational perspective. I mean, if your e-commerce departments or your contact center departments or any other, maybe uh, some kind of product team uh, department is not on board, doesn't share the purpose and doesn't share the goals you try to achieve. Yeah, that becomes, uh, that becomes very hard to, uh, to, uh, to build a sustainable assistant for your organization. Mm. And uh, I think that is, also, uh, that, is, uh, that is also key, that there is a certain understanding that everyone needs to, everyone needs to contribute to the digital assistant in order to make it work. 
And uh, yeah, indeed, uh, like someone uh, like a like a co uh, copywriter from e-commerce reads customer feedback differently than someone from the contact center or uh, a data engineer or such of. And that, yeah, and you need to get all those insights, you need to get them together and sort of come with a coherent uh, uh, plan in how to improve your digital assistance. So mm. yeah, it's, 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 it's quite important. It's essential in my opinion, yeah. Yeah, and is that, is it, is that, driven from a, a kind of real senior level or more of a grassroots movement. So I've been in organizations before where the collaboration between teams was, it's almost like a bargaining is as such where this team's over here, they're doing their thing and they're really busy and under pressure. This yeah. team's over here doing their thing. They're really busy under pressure. And then the transformation team, as it, as it was then called, is kind of in the middle trying to buy a bit of time from here, trying to get a bit of bad time from there and trying to kind of do things in and around business as usual without it being like a dedicated project team where people can come out of the business to work on something. And so I've I've worked in both instances where in that case, it's kind of grassroots driven. It's all about building relationships internally and trying to get support internally. But yeah. also I've been on the reverse of it, which has actually been driven by the senior stakeholders and, and board members and whatnot, who've kind of like, or the VPs who've been like, this team and that team need to work together on this project for this period, because this is really important. In your experience, what have you found works more effective or is it a combination? Oh, it was absolutely a combination. Uh, if you only have uh, your grassroots movement, how you call it, but you don't have support for senior management or they don't see how it contributes to, their, to the vision they have for, for the customers or for the organization, it's not going to fly. And uh, because it, it is, a, let's be honest, it can be a quite expensive project to uh, deploy as well, right? It's not something you can do out of uh, the change money from your annual budgets or something. There has to be really dedication to it and understanding why we are doing uh, why we are doing such things, but on the other hand, uh, uh, yeah, without collaboration in the teams, you 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 yeah, you basically run into the problems uh, uh, you just mentioned, right? So uh, teams or different specialists have different goals. Um, people might do it on the side instead of dedicated, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then you get uh, then you get the, you, they don't get the potential out of the technology you want to uh, you want to get from it. So. Yeah, and especially the customer, because the customer is uh, rightfully quite easy in declining a specific channel if it doesn't help them uh, directly. So uh, yeah, it, 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 is a, it is a need that comes from both ways. And I think what the, what the strong point is of conversational AI in that sense is that the customer talks with you in plain language and you can uh, capture that language and you can analyze it uh, also on a lar and also on a larger scale. So you know very specifically where you need to improve, where you need to change. Uh, um, and I think that's 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 for compared to other digital capabilities uh, companies regularly offer uh, online. I think that's one of the main strength points. Customers can talk to you in plain language what they think is good, what they think is bad, or you can easily subtract it from the conversation and uh, use this very valuable input for your assistance or maybe also the other uh, uh, capabilities. Mm, interesting. One of the things that's also a, a kind of I suppose a signifier of maturity both from the kind of like uh, technology capability perspective and also from the culture teamwork perspective is taking that spoken language that you mentioned being able to analyze that at scale as you mentioned but also taking relevant kind of insights and being able to offer that to other parts of the business so I've, <clears throat> there's a really good example of Comwave which is a Canadian telco I use this story all the time because it's really interesting where they had customers calling their IVR and the, the bot that was in the IVR is intended just to raise support tickets. If your modem or router goes down or you lose your internet, whatever, raise a support ticket, someone will get in touch with you later. But what it noticed is that from this very specific place in Canada, one town, we're getting loads of reports of outages. And that, because they had the setup internally, was able to be flagged to the support division of the business that then actually found out that the internet was down in a part of the, in a certain part of town. So the insight coming from the bot was able to inform the business of, of an issue that it didn't know about that yeah. it then went and resolved. So I'm just wondering whether is that kind of the situation at Amro Bank and how, how else do you use that data over and above kind of improving models, if anywhere? 
Yeah, well, not, 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 uh, yeah. So, uh, so maybe not really directly linked to uh, the, the example you uh, you've put on, but for example, it can also mean that you communicate on a lot of different ways with your uh, with your customer, right? Uh, you can even send letters. You have a website. You have the app. You you have your uh, your main contact channels, that kind of stuff. And sometimes uh, it can be the case that sometimes that you see that you get a, a request from a specific place on the web of the app a lot of times about a specific product. Uh, which is a relatively quite, uh, in our example, we had three years, we had an example, so for example, our customers were asking a lot. You have in, uh, in the Netherlands, you have a payment system, which is called Ideal. And a lot of questions came in about, um, um, can, I, can I retrieve, uh, I, I'm not sure what the English word is, but can I retrieve the money I just sent via Ideal myself? Mm-hmm. And of course, as a product manager or as a uh, copywriter, you write a lot of stuff down about specific products or about specific topics, which a product actually can do, or which a, yeah, which a product can actually can mean for a customer, but not really what it, what you can't, right? But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that there are no questions about it, but at the at the customer side. So in that sense, sort of observing and uh, seeing what is going on in the customer's mind in terms of okay, what questions do they have about a product can also help you basically to optimize content or information elsewhere. And I think uh, that that is a, yeah that's a, that's a generic example uh, how you can use it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So so you know for for those kind of teams that have the resources to be able to do things like that regularly, which you should do absolutely. If you've got any chatbot live, this should be a thing that you do routinely. Um, but you've got a lot of different skills that are needed to do this. Your POC, if you look at the t- team that you have now versus the POC, I imagine you've got roles that exist in your team currently that probably might not have even been thought about in the POC. If you're working with lots of different divisions across the bank and they've got content and, and data in different places, you need somebody or team to be able to bring that data together, create relationships between it, make it accessible to be called by a chatbot and all that kind of stuff. You've got some kind of like data science requirement there. Mm-hmm. You've got someone who understands NLU systems if the yep. POC was kind of like rule-based and, and the, the recent edition is natural language understanding. You need someone to be able to know what to look for in those transcripts, you need someone to be able to maintain the integrity of your NLU models as you kind of retrain it for specific use cases. So I wonder if you can talk about, you don't have to give us the, you know, role for role, your team makeup, but some of the key skills that teams, as they begin to mature, will absolutely need in their team that they might not have thought about when they were just beginning. Yeah, I think, uh, look, I think, uh, I think machine learning and LU applications in general that are quite generic applications, right? I mean, uh, you could do a whole wide range of, uh, of, uh, of stuff with it. And I think just building the experiment, uh, experience and gaining the experience, how to utilize it right in terms of a conversation and in terms of uh, implementing the actual flows, uh, the notes basically, and uh, link the notes and make jumps in the notes, et cetera, like that. Yeah, that's a professional itself, and I don't think uh, you, I don't think it's something you learn on, uh, in a, on the university, basically, or not necessarily. So that's really something you have to gain by experience, and I really think that's something uh, um, um, to find those people, and otherwise to find those people who are interested to learn this. That is, I think, uh, the key question there. Um, people pick it up quite rapidly. I notice uh, if you deal with the right, uh, if you have the right systems in place, of course. Mm. Uh, so I think that's quite important. But what, what another major insight was is that um, designing conversations is actually a professional in itself. So actually, it, it, you, can't, you can't pull people from the contact center, drop them uh, behind the laptop and having them write conversations on one side and on the other side, uh, get a few um, uh, content specialists who write uh, for 10, 15 years already write content for a website or, uh, or whatever. Or, and do the same with them. It's really a professional in itself because the dynamic of a conversation is completely different than uh, uh, than it is if you just publish content on the website or in an email or whatsoever. And understanding that dynamic and also realizing what the problem is behind the questions the customer asks, so you can offer a solution more rapidly than uh, maybe than instead of asking a few uh, additional questions in your flow as well. That is really key, and getting that inf- and getting the, the knowledge from those two sides, getting it combined, so know how to write content, know uh, how to have a conversation with the customer, combining that technology, that really, or combining that knowledge, that really got together to uh, that 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 to our realization that yeah, a conversation designer is a professional in itself, and it's not something uh, it's not something uh, you can do on the site or something like that. So. Uh, 
Yeah, and that was quite a lengthy journey, right? Because, uh, uh, yeah, you have to gain the knowledge as well, how to do it as well uh, by yourself, also with some external support. But that's something which has to grow within your organization. And if you, yeah, you just mentioned, uh, I just earlier mentioned, 40 people working on it. Well, I didn't count uh, the conversation designers themselves in that. So we have quite a bunch of conversation designers in the bank, um, uh, which you really have to educate and bring on the level you want to have them to make them uh, really effective, uh, really valuable for uh, for Anna in this case. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I think that's the that's the major insight in terms of um, creating new professions. I think the conversation designer is something. Uh, really something new yeah mm, definitely definitely yeah it's um it's really interesting because it's it's almost got it's gotten to the point where it's becoming a recognized role i imagine now if you you know now compared to 2017 certainly it's more recognized now as a profession um but it's really interesting with conversation design because people come into conversation design from all kinds of different backgrounds which is like you know yes some people might come from customer service or content writing or whatever it might be but some people come from all kinds of different places you know um it's absolutely crazy the varied backgrounds that people have in it because it's a it's a real it's a real discipline you know like uh being able to you know, craft dialogue, understand the, the nature and the flows of conversations, the twists and turns, you know, grounding and error recovery and that kind of stuff is, uh, it's not trivial necessarily, but it's something that I think a lot of people overlook. Um, what do you think are some of the things that people overlook when it comes to senior leadership support? So you, in order to get from a POC to production, you need to be able to demonstrate that it's got potential yeah. to meet business value, obviously. Yeah. But in order to go from production for for one thing and to scale that, across the whole organization, all departments from mortgages to insurance to loans, the whole kind of bank accounts, the whole nine yards. You, it requires definitely, as you mentioned, senior leadership plus some, maybe some grassroots stuff. But f- looking back now, what what would you say some of the things, some of the like maybe it's common misconceptions maybe that leadership have around this technology and ways in which you kind of approached educating and, and gathering kind of buy-in from senior leaders. But maybe first, in term, before we get into the, the hows, what, what are some of the, even not just at Amro Bank, but generally from your observations, what are some of the kind of misconceptions that you think senior leadership has around this stuff sometimes? Yeah, I think if you're, uh, if you're not that closely involved in uh, working with this technology, like, look, uh, we're coming from an age where you have a lot of uh, uh, software as a service kind of uh, approaches, right? You deploy uh, a piece of software in your organization and it works. Um, and what people don't realize good enough and what you really have to bring to their attention is that, well, the analogy used within the organization is, is that with building a digital assistant, you're basically raising a, raising a kid. So it's not something the kid is there and then the kid knows everything. It's really about um, the, much ama- uh, the amount of time and effort it takes to actually for the team to understand the, the customer really well. So to come with the right dialogues. It is also that it's not that you deploy an NOU, you build a nice interface, you build a nice avatar, you call it Anna, you put it live and there yeah, the, the technology does it all. So um, <laughs> Uh, or the AI does it all basically because it's AI, right? So it's really intelligent. It's hyper intelligent. It, it knows how to deal with customers, right? So bringing them along that whole journey from starting at scratch and to basically expanding dialogue for dialogue, topic for topic, uh, skill to skill, to upscale it to a bot, which on the, in one hand is still learning and on the other hand is actually already delivering value because that's also one of the aspects, right? With, uh, with uh, conversational AI, it can only really learn once it's live to customers. That's the, that's the big way out to, uh, that's, the, that's the way to go if you want to, uh, to scale it on the longer side. That understanding and uh, realizing that it's not a software package you implement basically, um, uh, that's a dynamic which, uh, is, is, uh, which takes time for people to grasp. And even if they say, yeah, I do understand it, you need to put a lot of data in, a lot of conversation, you need to learn a lot, a lot before your assistant is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is mature. I still experience that uh, even if people are saying it in their um, yeah, unconsciousness, they still approach the whole process and dynamic still as a software package you're implementing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that, that, that really takes time. Yeah, interesting. It is. It's really interesting that because I mean I've been involved in lots of conversations in the past where the the the, the 
expectation is that it's kind of this black box that you just turn on and then it kind of works because everyone uses Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant and stuff like that. And it kind of just, we just talk to it and it works, doesn't it? So why would this be any different? You know, it's a really, it's a totally different mental model to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, of course, the, uh, that kind of companies, uh, they're, they're delivering great stuff, but they don't necessarily show how many people are involved to get it as good as it is. Yeah. Um, and the understanding that, it, it, I mean, it's not a software package that you have generic buttons. It really needs to be tailor-made for your specific customer. You can't just take out the data model on our side, walk to, um, I don't know, to uh, to uh, to uh, ING or something, or maybe uh, Vattenfall, a larger energy company, implement it there, and it, and it works fine. <laughs> no, because it's a different company in a different sector um, with maybe the same customers, but who have different problems and are approaching it differently. So you need to adjust your model on that. So you basically, yeah, it's for a lot of companies, it's really you build your assistant from scratch. Mm. And you basically, you basically, with buying the algorithm, then you're, that's step one or step zero, basically. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, what, it, so now then, beyond the POC, into production, four years down the line, big team supporting it, you know, there's the support and, and buy-in from senior leadership. You've got people involved from all over the different parts of the organization. What kind of use cases do you cover now? You mentioned at the beginning that you were kind of covering a small number of use cases. It kind of advanced to be a lot more broader. Are you? Is it kind of like question and answers? Do you do any kind of like transactional kind of stuff? Like what kind of use cases is it? is Anna covering today? Um, well, we are available also with relevant cost, uh, content for our basically all uh, customers. So uh, businesses, uh, we- our wealth management customers, our regular retail customers. So basically we cover it all. Um, even expats. So we have a sort of multilingual thing that is really nice. Uh, well, that's, that's what I really like uh, that it works as well. Interesting. And, uh, uh, but also in terms of, yeah, Anna provides already some services so she can t- change your address or uh, check your address one before we send something to you. Um, yeah, there, there, are multiple, uh, there are multiple things Anna can do. So it's really service-oriented. It's uh, information-oriented. And uh, Anna can also, based on the... She also targets customer with specific messages. So we sort of have a sort of proactive concept uh, in production as well. Interesting. So for example, uh, um, yeah, what a nice case. Uh, what one of the first cases was, what was actually one of, I think, the nicest cases as well, is that basically um, Anna notifies customers uh, three months before their banking card expires uh, that their banking cards are going to expire. And with Anna, the customers can check if their address is still correct. So we don't send the banking card to the wrong address once we send the new bank, that kind of stuff, you know? So actually uh, uh, tackling a problem before something comes a problem. So before we send the car to the wrong address and the customer is uh, at the shopping mall trying to, uh, to pay for their, uh, for their goods basically and the car doesn't work. That kind of problems, that kind of frictions you can tackle with sort of a proactive strategy in that. And we have multiple cases on that, which is really nice. Yeah, and uh, it's all about accessibility, right? So um, multilingual, I think it's really a part of uh, being accessible for all your customers. Uh, but also things in terms of uh, things in terms of uh, uh, the way you display yourself, or so only the chat screen in the button, or are you like in a wide interface, that kind of concepts. Yeah, we're doing all kinds of stuff in that sense. Uh, King, on beginner, my side, beginner, yeah. beginner, schoolboy error there. I had myself on mute. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the proactive stuff is really interesting because it's where a lot of value is. Um, and a lot of organizers, I think that's a good sign of maturity as well, is that you're able to do proactive things. Because if you think about the amount of resources that it would take to do that thing that you just explained there, which is reach out to customers, tell them that the card's going to expire, but one's on the way, confirm that their address is the correct address, and then okay to then send the new card. Like imagine how much time and effort it would take to send that as a letter in the post or have someone actually make a phone call to confirm that or even you know the 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 um i was trying to say that i've lost my train of thought but yeah basically those two things would be very expensive to do whereas once you've built it in the chatbot it exists forever and there's just nothing but value afterwards exactly and it uh it is also uh um 
Yeah, like building a digital assistant is also building sort of a relation of trust with your customers, right? So if you can do with your digital assistant this kind of cases, and the next time the customer comes to the website because I don't know what goes on, uh, they want a mortgage or uh, there's a specific problem they want to talk about with someone, and they see Anna popping up who helped her greatly the last time, even proactively, then people also tend more to click on it and start uh, talking with Anna instead of uh, picking up the phone or ask for an employee directly, right? Uh, so it's also a huge uh, trust gainer, I think. Mm. But also from a broader concept, right? Uh, as the bank, I think as banking sector as a whole, we are sort of in a, also in a digital transformation, right? So the, I, I'm, I'm, I think the same happens in the UK, small assumption, yeah, yeah. but local branches yeah. are closing, everything moves to the app or to the websites. Yeah. And then, uh, then the, 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 one of the big gains of be having a bank in every town and in every uh, basically shopping street basically was always, you would have a conversation sometimes with your customer, right? Uh, which is not only about a specific problem or about a specific product uh, where they were coming for, but also about, uh, well, how are you doing in general? Um, holiday plans or uh, mm. what are you saving for? Oh, you might think about uh, moving places, that kind of stuff. So to bring that kind of the touch points and bring that kind of relationship, we also need to transfer it to our digital domains, right? Mm. And I think in that sense, it's, it's not only conversational AI, but I think conversational AI is an important component in this. But a, actually to, uh, that the customer comes in and that's basically, and I can also determine, uh, okay, who is the right person for you to help on? And can she pick up those small hints that the customer wants more than just what they're talking about and connecting them to the right people within the bank? I think that that's, that's can be a major value driver of conversational AI and uh, uh, in the banking sector as a whole, I think. Mm. So in that sense, I think uh, yeah, I think it's really valuable to uh, pursue this uh, pursue personalization strategies online. But I think conversational AI is an essential part in this, and not only for banks actually. I think for uh, for everyone, uh, for all digital companies. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, as as companies begin to mature, you start to see. I mean, Capital One I think is a really good example in the US where their digital assistant Enor is it's a it's in the chat channel it's on the app it's in the call center it's even as a, a shortcut on a, in a web browser that can facilitate secure payments it's mm -hmm. also in email so the proactive stuff you were talking about there from anna it, it kind of it's all email based so you get an email about your card or whatever it might be and so it, it's really this kind of like om true omni-channel presence and when when you get to not even that level but everything that you've been explaining so far around Anna being proactive as far as anticipating customer needs being facilitative in terms of getting the customer to where it needs to, to where they need to be uh, understanding the needs of the customer to be able to build and you know create services and, and models that are able to deal with that kind of uh, customer queries helping to relieve tension and stress from customer service agents and lighten the load so they can focus on more complex needs having an accessibility angle as well you know there's all of this stuff isn't kind of like tactical you know stuff it's, it, this is all real strategic value organizationally yeah. and so the ai front end in order to get a good ai front end first of all we've spoke about a bit of it which is that you need uh -huh. to have your back end in order you know api availability for land and business systems data in the right kind of shape and formats and accessible for the for the for the bot and so there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into it in order for it to get to that point where it is a strategic uh asset i suppose um but i think a lot of organizations still when they're immature believe that a chatbot is a point solution and it's a tactical implementation and nothing beyond that so how do you go about educating stakeholders as as well as well as other people within the organization about the fact that this thing is a real strategic advantage and not simply a point solution for a specific customer service problem Oh, that's uh, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a long, long, long process. So it's <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's not so. And I don't mean in the terms of that they are hard to get it, but it's uh, it's it's the point is I think uh, this technology can be transformational for the way we offer digital services to our customers, and that means that you have to basically go through a lot of facts set in stone sort of uh, what are basic principles of how uh, the organization works so before you have that kind of thinking you you are able i mean everyone can a lot of people can tell nice stories right a lot of people can make a nice flashy powerpoint sheets with all kinds of facts why it's transformational and why it has a benefit and that kind of stuff 
but actually to build a relationship with your organization and take them along step by step. Okay, for example, yeah, now we have a POC on uh, payment subjects. We think it can be variable for uh, mortgages as well. Till the step as, hey, we have a mature digital assistant in the chat channel, but why is it driving the app as a whole, for example? Uh, that whole process that there are like, there, there, there are like multiple steps in between and take, take it slow. Don't try to, to, to hit your home run straight away, right? Um, so define for yourself the steps and each time define a new step in your vision, what you have, what you think, if it's like driving your app, if it's chat only, or if it's, uh, I don't know, uh, what you see now, uh, a voice bot for telephony, you see more and more coming up in the market, that kind of technology. Take them along step by step. Prove it's a small use case. Okay, this can actually work. What is, what is the value compared to the current system or the current interface you're currently offering them? And uh, uh, on the operational side, so there's where you from. Uh, the, the, so that's more on the operational side where you really show the value step by step where it's grown to. And also uh, to, to, to take them along like uh, on a strategical note, like, Hey, if your contact moves digitally, so first, uh, that, that also means on a strategic level, people have to first realize, okay, you go from analog to digital contact as well, if you are in a digital transformation, right? And if your stakeholders are there, okay, uh, what, can it, what can it mean more? Is it only about automating your contact, basically, or is it wider? Does it, for example, mean that in terms of doing, doing your services online frictionless or effortless or whatever term you want to give to it, uh, can conversational play a role in there? And why can it play a role in there? And should we start a PUC? It's, 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 it's a process of, uh, well, of, uh, of years and also good understandable because things are working, things are delivering value. So you're not going to stop that uh, uh, because someone uh, with a funny name walks into your room and claims conversational AI is the new uh, way to go, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's it's... It's it's a lengthy process, but uh, um, yeah, and, and never give up, I guess. So uh, be aware, be be conscious. The first twenty times or ten times, you probably get a no, and then uh, yeah, step by step. Mm, interesting, yeah. But as you said, you know, if it's if you're constantly focused on business value, then it you know it's a natural, gradual process, isn't it? Whereby you demonstrate some value, there's then then there is you know the next step is identified you deliver that bit and you prove that this use case also delivers value. And so then it's like, okay, well, if this is delivering value, then maybe it's this will as well. And so over time, you know, iteratively, you, you kind of um, build the capabilities and, and build the knowledge and, and maturity. Yeah. And as well, uh, um, think also experiment with a lot of stuff because uh, uh, don't be afraid that sometimes to kill a specific concept. So if something that doesn't work, yeah, well then accept the fact very quickly. It just doesn't work this way. Mm. Because sometimes hey, you see people just keep pushing it through. Well, maybe if you improve this or that or whatever, uh, but the customers are just not adopting it. I think that's quite uh, uh, be open for, uh, yeah, be open for failure literally uh, and accept it as a fact and, Make sure you have a relationship with your stakeholders, which do not depend on that single uh, uh, experiment, right? And then you get a whole different uh, kind of talk. I think that's important as well. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Where, also, where... Oh, that's what I wanted to say. Sorry. Yeah, I was uh, losing my uh, mind for, uh, for a bit of what I wanted to say. But also be very open for ideas from your organization. So if you uh, don't think you, have, you know it all, right? So talk with the contact center agents, talk with the copywriters from the website and the app, talk with people who, uh, who are there on the front, not working in the field you're working on and try to set up something together and also to work concepts out based on their ideas and uh, see if it works, right? I mean, uh, uh, people who build something, they love it. I mean, uh, you love your kids as well automatically, right? So if you uh, get something to production from one of your stakeholders and they see it working, it's also easier to adopt it and to build on that, right? Mm, so mm. be open for uh, all kinds of uh, colleagues with ideas, yeah. Absolutely, fantastic. That's really useful. Um, not necessarily thinking about Amro Bank, because uh, you don't need to give anyway any secrets, but in terms of you, when you observe things like technology developments, things like different use cases that you see existing, and you think about the future of 
AI powered customer experiences, I call it. What are some of the things that are kind of exciting you about, you know, you can see Google with the, with the Lambda and the large language models. You mentioned voice channels becoming pretty popular. You know, there's a whole bunch of different things kind of uh, emerging. What are some of the things that are exciting you about the future of this technology and, and these use cases? Um, well, I think what might be what might be an interesting development. I think uh, what I start to hear people talking about. It's not. Uh, I haven't seen it concrete yet. But what might be very interesting, if uh, if the technology you use. So I'm uh, forget the fact about digital assistants, but the technology you use and how you apply it. Uh, it becomes part of a wider range of analytical and NOU driven products, which are sort of managing and driving your contact center as a whole. So uh, sort of intelligent contact center kind of concept, uh, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. I think that's, 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 that's a very interesting field to, uh, to explore. So you take it for the, from, basically you take, you, you, you approach it from a 360 angle. So uh, your customer relationship, right? So not only focused on your, uh, on your, uh, on your, uh, on your customers, but also actively support your, um, uh, agents uh, real-time with specific insights or automate certain tasks for them or uh, gain insights for your workforce management so they know how to uh, how to plan in uh, capacity uh, better. All that kind of different concepts. So apply AI over your contact center uh, wide, for example, can be a very interesting topic. Mm. Uh, what I see in the first experiments, uh, it's not what we are doing, but I saw some first experiments uh, in the healthcare uh, field especially is also, I think, the concept of digital humans. I mean, it's not mature yet, but mm. like real-time 3D avatars, like uh, like how we are talking, that you have sort of like Anna in the screen as a third party or something like that. Mm. I think I, I've seen I've seen some digital humans with quite some decent emotional intelligence as well, so who can respond to your facial expressions. Uh, where there, where I, yeah, there, there, there might be a lot of potential in that as well. Mm. Maybe on the longer term, I think it's not there yet. But uh, um, I mean, most most of the interaction uh, most of the interaction you have with the person is like, uh, um, yeah, I it's physical, so it's based on facial expressions. I'm mm -hmm. not sure what the English term is about that. Yeah. But if you can mimic that near real life uh, through uh, through a digital human or something, I think um, uh, the feeling of a customer of feeling listened to and being looked at, uh, you get a way better connection than just firing off some. Uh, some text lines uh, to each other, right? Mm. So I think from a from a field perspective, from a customer relationship perspective, that can be a big uh, that could be a big gainer on the a bit longer term. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. There. Yeah. I think you can see some examples of the kind of AI first contact centers becoming available. You know, if you looked at last year when Microsoft announced its call center capability alongside Dynamics three six five. I think there was something like 15 features or 14 features and about nine or 10 of them were all natural language processing capabilities from analytics to bot automations to all sorts. And then Google's collaboration with UJet, I don't know if you're familiar with UJet, but UJet have the best omni-channel capabilities that I think I've seen and mm -hmm. they've been heavily embedded with Google uh, CCAI in terms of its integration with Dialogflow and whatnot. And so the use cases that that, that offers is pretty interesting. But I think that if you look at... <clears throat> Because the call center is basically all conversations. You can have, you know, automated routing in the IVR that takes you to the right type of team, right, right skill sets. For the right use cases, automation in, in the IVR itself. And then when voice biometrics in there as well, which we don't see much of at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same thing can be said in chat as well. This exact same process can work in chat. Uh, and then you've got conversational intelligence running in the conversations themselves, something like symbol AI or observe AI, something like that, extracting, you know, from the live conversations that agents have, inter conversational intelligence from that. Uh, there's things around agent assist where you can be, you know, automating transactions and giving agents next best actions and that kind of stuff. And so... The potential for NLP in across all these customer service channels is absolutely huge. You know, it's it's frightening. Yeah, but that's that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, I definitely see the potential too. But on the other side, it's not that strange. I mean, if you can understand the language of a person, I mean, yeah, the, that's for, from an automated solution perspective. You could do a whole, you can inter, you can do a whole lot to interpret it in so many ways and set out so many actions uh, afterwards. Mm. Yeah, I, I, per, I personally believe, so that's outside the bank, I personally believe this is really, uh, this can be really a transformational uh, kind of technology, which is also easy deployable over different channels, right? I mean, 
I'm not meaning only digital channels, but also maybe analog channels or, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. in that sense, I think, uh, I think it can be really transformational. For, from the easy perspective, if you have 10, 10 different services uh, in your app, uh, then you need to offer 10 different interfaces. And if you do it right conversationally, you only have one. And a customer just never have to search for it, gets an open screen, type something in the order, and just process right away. So only from that kind of perspective, I think it, uh, it really has the potential to do uh, something big in the upcoming years. Mm, Some absolutely. companies are already doing it, actually. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the digital humans, for those tuning in, uh, if you're interested in the digital humans side of things, check out the podcast we did a couple of weeks back with Rob Cunningham, who's an innovation manager at LNER, which is a, a railway service in the UK. Uh, they trialed one in a train station and got some pretty good feedback, to be honest. The, the limiting factor with actually rolling it out to production, I mean, the vision is that you would have a digital human everywhere throughout the train station so that at any point in time you need any help at all you've always got somebody close um it's just the costs basically it's, it's quite expensive to get a real good high fidelity digital human that has all of the things you mentioned <clears throat> you know being able to recognize when someone's gazing at you instead of activating a wake word uh, being able to co- you know marry together the dialogue and the actions and all this kind of stuff it's it gets quite complicated but yeah potential is definitely there yeah Cool. Well, Hiroon, this was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate your time. It's been absolutely Thank you as well. Nice one. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Tomorrow, we'll be speaking to uh, Patricia Thane, who is the CEO of Private AI, and we'll be talking all about privacy in AI and natural language processing and how private AI is helping further the cause, which I think is a really important topic as well. So we'll give that some air time. Shout out to Fiko Hollander, who said, uh, well said, Jeroen Das. I won't bring up the whole comment because it's quite large, but he's quoted your uh, phrase of transformational technology, strategic for an organization and not just a point solution. It's a process of years demonstrating the value iteratively. Don't be afraid to experiment, be open for failure and be very open for ideas from your organization. Couldn't have summarized the conversation better myself. Thank you, Faiko. Appreciate that. And thank you, Jeroen, for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Cheers.